You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open the Word of God. We'll read a passage from Genesis 27, verse 41 to 28, verse 9. This afternoon we want to focus on the dream that Jacob had at Bethel. And in the first part of Genesis 27... Jacob had deceived his father Isaac into giving him the blessing instead of his older brother Esau, who was supposed to get the blessing of the firstborn. And Esau finds out about this, and he's quite upset. And we'll pick it up in Genesis 27, verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send a word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes away from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him, and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram, to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you, and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May He give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob, and had sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Let's now read the text for the proclamation of the word this afternoon. That's Genesis 28, verse 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, 
I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat, and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, Jacob was in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. He was running for his life. Behind him, he had an angry brother who was ready to kill him. Ahead of him, a long journey into the unknown. All around him, there were wild animals, possibly robbers along the way. Just a little while earlier, everything seemed to be going so well for him. He had tricked his brother Esau into selling him the birthright. And then, just a few days ago, his mother Rebecca had helped him to trick his father Isaac into giving him the blessing of the firstborn, taking it away from Esau. Everything was good for Jacob. Then, Esau found out that Jacob had stolen that blessing from him. And Esau was furious. He was angry enough to kill Jacob. So Jacob had to flee for his life. There he was. A fugitive on the road up up north to Haran. far, Far away from his family. Not knowing what was going to happen. It seemed like Esau had won in their long-standing rivalry. Jacob had gotten the blessing, but didn't seem like it was going to come true at all. He was supposed to be a great nation, as numerous as the stars of the sky. But now if he looked at those stars, they just reminded him that he didn't even have a roof over his head. He was supposed to inherit that land of Canaan, Now he was fleeing that very land that he was supposed to inherit. He was supposed to become a great nation with many descendants. 
But now he didn't even have any children. He wasn't even married yet. It was a time of trouble for Jacob. But then one night, one night at Bethel, everything changes for him. Because the Lord appears to him and speaks some amazing words of promise to Jacob. Wonderful words of comfort. These are words that we find in our text this afternoon. We can summarize this text with this theme. Our fugitive forefather encounters the Lord in a dream at Bethel. And we'll see two parts. First, that the Lord shows his love to Jacob. He shows that he is close to him, even though Jacob feels all alone. And secondly, we'll see how Jacob responds to the Lord in worship. After yet another day of walking, wearily walking northward, Jacob finds a place to rest for the night. He picks up a stone from the ground and lays it under his head as a pillow. He falls asleep and he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees one amazing thing after another. It just keeps on getting better. First thing he sees is a ladder stretching from the earth all the way up to heaven. This is a magnificent stairway greater than anything he's seen before. And as he looks at the stairway, he sees angels moving up and down on this ladder between heaven and earth, between God and himself. And then as he looks further up, the very top, you see the Lord God Himself, the ruler of heaven and earth is there at the top of that stairway, looking down on Jacob. He's taking an interest in Jacob's life. He cares about Jacob. Now, this is a truly awesome sight for Jacob. He knows that he's not alone, but there's angels going up and down, doing God's will, protecting him on earth. And God himself is looking on him and loving him. Jacob realizes that the Lord is not leaving him alone in his suffering. The Lord doesn't leave any of his people alone in their suffering. But he's always looking on them, always concerned about them. And that's really quite amazing in itself. Because God's people have nothing good in themselves that would attract God's attention to us. You might expect, in fact, that God wouldn't take such a keen interest in human lives because we keep on sinning against Him. Jacob had sinned against God. We keep on sinning against God. There's nothing in us to make God want to love us. But yet by God's grace, he does love us. He cared about Jacob. He cares about us. Jesus Christ has died for our sins. And it's because of that that we can again have communion with God. The connection between heaven and earth was broken by sin. But now Jesus Christ restores that connection between God and us, between heaven and earth. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ himself is the stairway today who connects us to heaven. In John 1, verse 51, after Jesus has called to his, of his first disciples, he tells them that they will see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That doesn't mean that angels are going to land on Jesus' head. No, it means that Jesus, the Son of Man, is the ladder. Jesus is the way by which those angels will go up and down and minister to us. Jesus Christ is the only way that we have a, can have a connection with God. It's because of His death for our sins that we can again have communion with God. Let's go back to Jacob. He has seen this awesome sight in this dream. Now he's going to hear God speaking to him. He might be wondering what God is going to say. Jacob knows he has sinned. He sinned against Esau by taking the blessing from him. He sinned against his father Isaac by, by deceiving him. He sinned against God. Is God going to be upset with him now? That's what he deserved. He deserved God's condemnation. But the Lord is truly gracious to Jacob. And he makes some truly amazing promises to him. In verse 13, he introduces himself as the Lord, the God of his father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And he speaks familiar words of comfort to him, words that he had also promised to Abraham and to Isaac. God promises Jacob that this whole land of Canaan will belong to him and to his descendants. God promises Jacob that his descendants will be numerous. They will spread throughout the earth will be like the dust of the earth, uncountable. Finally, God tells Jacob that all peoples on earth, all nations, would be blessed through him and his offspring. These are the same promises that God had made to Abraham and to Isaac. And now they continue to the next generation, not to Esau, even though he was the firstborn, and even though Esau seemed to be doing better right now, the promises go to Jacob, the fugitive Jacob. Now, this is very encouraging to Jacob. He knows that God's covenant promises will now continue through him, not through Esau, but through him. He knows that that same God who had been with Abraham and with Isaac was now going to be with him as well. The Lord was not going to go back on his word. Now today we have all of scripture. And we know that God was true to his promises to Jacob. He did give Israel the land. He did make Israel into a great nation. And he also made Jacob a blessing for all nations. God worked through the line of Jacob's descendants to bring Jesus Christ into the world 
Through him, all nations would be blessed. And it's because of Jesus Christ that we also can be included in that nation of Jacob. We can consider him as our forefather also. By the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ went out not just to the Israelites, but to all nations. And we, for the most part, have no blood connection to Jacob. And yet, Jesus Christ died for our sins too. We too receive the blessing of Jacob. We receive the blessing of the Lord being our God. But Jacob was a fugitive. And he certainly was not thinking about people in Langley in the year 2010. Those promises about the future were wonderful, sure. But today, Jacob had a whole other set of concerns. He was leaving that promised land. He didn't even know what the next few days would look like, let alone the next years. And so we see that the Lord isn't just the God of the big picture, but He's also involved in the little details of life. In fact, it's because He provides in that big picture that He's also going to provide for Jacob the next few years, the next few days, every day. Jacob thought he was alone. But in verse 15, God promises him very directly that he will be with him, not just with the descendants thousands of years down the road, but with him. Jacob was afraid of Esau coming to get him. He was afraid of the dangers along the road. But God promised to watch over him wherever he goes. Jacob was concerned that those other promises about the future might never come true if if he never made it back to that land of Canaan. But God promises Jacob that he himself would be back in that land. Whatever happens in Haran, Jacob will be kept safe and he will come back to this land. God will never ever forsake him. We see here in the story about Jacob something that we see throughout Scripture that God is with his people that he protects them that he guides them. God was going to be with Jacob throughout his life. He would bring him back to that land But then he was also going to be with Jacob's descendants down the road. He was with the Israelites throughout their history. He gave them all that they needed. When they trusted in him, they didn't have to worry about anything. God was with them when they were in Egypt. He was with them when they were in the desert on the way to the promised land. He was with them in the promised land. He was even with them when they went into exile because they had disobeyed him. God was with his people. In fact, God was so much with his people that he even came down and became one of them. The Son of God became a man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved us so much that he gave his life for us. 
He gave His life to cover over our sins. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we could again have true communion with God, a true connection with Jesus Christ as the stairway to God. And He never left us alone. He went to heaven, but He gave His Spirit to live in our hearts, to guide us and strengthen us. God's Holy Spirit will be with us all the way to the very end. And at that very end of our lives, then we will have complete fellowship with God, true communion with God, forever. So, brothers and sisters, when we are facing difficulties in our lives, if we are lonely or in trouble, let us take courage from the Word of God. Let's realize that our loving God is always close by. He's not just going to be close to us in the future New Jerusalem. Even though that's true as well. We'll be closer to Him then than, than we are ever now. But also today, every day, God is with us. He's protecting us from danger. He's providing us with what we need. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Sometimes God seems far away. Sometimes we feel very lonely. Sometimes we feel like the people who should love us, even they reject us. But let's never forget that God has promised to be with us and He will be true to His promises. He is always with us. He will guide us through all our sufferings. He sees the big picture. The big picture is He wants us to be with Him forever. And on the way to that eternal fellowship with Him, He's going to keep us safe. He is going to keep us safe on that journey to the new world. We can be sure that He keeps us in His loving, protecting hands. So now we've seen something of the closeness of God and God's love that Jacob learned about in this dream. Let's now see how Jacob responded to this, how he now worshipped God because of these promises that God had made to him. When a human being is confronted with God's glory in the way that Jacob was, there can be only one response. Reverent worship. That's exactly what Jacob does. He reverently worships the Lord. He's seen God in heaven. He has heard Him speaking to Him. The first thing he feels when he wakes up from his dream is fear. Jacob is afraid. He realizes that the Almighty God has appeared to him as a sinful human being. And that is incomprehensible because he knows that he's a sinner. He knows that God is holy. It is a very natural and proper reaction for a human being to be fearful, reverently fearful of the Lord. Maybe an illustration will make this clear. Maybe you've seen pictures in 
Time magazine or McLean's of Canadian soldiers in Afghanistan. Big tough guys with big guns, lots of equipment. They can be pretty scary looking. Sometimes some of the children there in Afghanistan will come up to these soldiers. They know these soldiers aren't there to harm them, even though they very well could. These children, they walk up to the soldiers. They know the soldiers are on their side, there to protect them. And yet, they're still a little bit afraid. Because as good as these soldiers are to them, they're still big, tough guys with big guns. They're still intimidating. Now that's just a small-scale picture of what it's like when a human being is confronted with God's glory and power. When we realize how powerful God is, how He could destroy us, we're going to have some reverent fear for Him. We'll be in awe of Him, even though we know that He is on our side, even though we know that He's protecting us. Let's remember that in our worship. To have proper reverence for the Lord. Even if we can't see Him like Jacob saw Him, we should still have that reverence fear. Because God is so much greater than us. We're just sinful creatures. We have no right to come into God's presence. We have no right to expect that He'll listen to us or be close to us. So let's be in awe of our God. We must realize that it's only by God's grace that we can come close to Him. It's only by God's grace that He gave us that stairway, Jesus Christ, who connects us with Him once again. Jacob realizes not only that God is holy and we should be afraid of God reverently, But he also realizes that the very place where he is is a holy place. It is a place of worship. This was a place where Abraham had worshipped God before. This was a place where, for a little while in the future, the tabernacle and the Ark of God's Covenant would find their home. This is a place where God was close to his people. But Jacob calls it the house of God. Even the gate of heaven. He renames the place Bethel, which means the house of God. Now in the morning, Jacob continues worshiping God. He takes that stone that he used as a pillow. He sets it up as a pillar. The stone becomes a memorial to remember that the Lord had appeared to him there. It was a life-changing event for Jacob for God's people as a whole. This had to be remembered. That's why he sets it up as a memorial stone. But he doesn't just set the stone up. He also pours oil on it. He anoints it with oil. What's that all about? Why does he pour oil on a stone? In the Old Testament, in Exodus 30, for example, Oil is often used to show something to be holy. There was a very special anointing oil that was used to anoint the priests for the service. It was also used to anoint the tabernacle and everything inside it. 
everything that was anointed with oil was holy to the Lord, dedicated for His service. And so it is with this pillar. Jacob shows by pouring oil on it, this is a holy place, a holy memorial to the Lord. And Jacob will come back later to worship God here. Before Jacob goes on, he expresses worship in one more way. He had worshipped God by being fearful. He had worshipped God by renaming the place Bethel. He worshipped God by setting up this holy the stone as a, as a pillar. And now, he worships God by making a vow. If you first read this vow in verses 20 to 22, it sounds like Jacob is challenging God to try and prove himself. It's as if he's saying, if God is going to be with me and take care of me, and if he brings me back to this land, then the Lord will be my God. And if he doesn't do it, then I'll have nothing to do with God at all. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like, to put it in modern terms, it sounds like he's asking God, or telling God, if you take away my cancer, I'll worship you. If you give me a better job, then I'll find it easier to come to church every Sunday. If you bring my children back to church, then I'll know that you are with me. But otherwise, I find it really hard to know you're there. I find it really hard to worship you. That's what it sounds like Jacob's doing. And that's sometimes what we feel like doing as well. But is that really what he's doing? Is Jacob really challenging God to prove himself? If you take a closer look, you'll see that's certainly not the case. We've seen that Jacob is full of worship already. And here he's just continuing that worship. And everything that he sets up as a condition in this vow, everything that that he says, if God, you'll do this, all these things are what God had just promised him in verse 15. He doesn't just make up whatever he wants and say, if if you'll do this, God, then, then I'll worship you. But he says to God, you've promised me this. So if you do that, if you're faithful to your promises, yes, then I'll just keep on worshiping you. God had promised to watch over him. God had promised to bring him back to the land of Canaan. These are the things that Jacob now asks God to do. So really, Jacob isn't trying to challenge God or test God, but he is professing faith in God. He is so sure that God will bring all of this, all of these promises to pass, that he now vows to worship God. It's as if he says, if the Lord will be with me, and bring me back here, and I know for sure that he will, then I will worship God. Even though things don't look so great for him right now, he still has hope for the future. 
He still worships God. He still praises Him. He still believes in His Lord. Jacob says that when God brings all of this to happen, then the Lord will be his God. Now that's not to say that Jacob did not think of the Lord as his God now already. But when he says that the Lord will be his God, then he means that then he will have further reason to see God as his faithful Lord, as the faithful covenant God. He'll have further reason to praise God for his faithfulness. When he comes back, this pillar that he has set up will be God's house. He'll give God a tenth of everything that God has given to him. This place that's marked by the pillar was going to be a place of sacrifice and of thanksgiving. Jacob did that too. We can read about that in Genesis 35. He would come back to Bethel. He cleaned out his whole house of all the foreign gods that might have been left. He goes back to Bethel and worships the only true God. He builds an altar to the Lord there. And he probably sacrificed many animals there, giving back that one-tenth that he now promised to the Lord. Now we worship the same God as Jacob worshipped. And God is still the same. He is still trustworthy. Jacob recognized God's trustworthiness. And he worshipped God when he made promises. Even though those promises seemed a long way from coming true. He could praise God today, even while he was in trouble, because of that promised hope for tomorrow he could still praise and worship God. And today we have more perspective than Jacob had. We know that God fulfilled those promises. We can praise God for being true to His Word. We know that He even sent His only Son to die for us. Even though it cost Him so much, He was so true to His Word that He paid that price. Now we in the New Testament era have also received promises from this faithful God. We've received a promise from Christ that He will always be with us, that the Holy Spirit will guide us, and that we will one day live with God in the New Jerusalem. So now we can look back at the past and see how God has been faithful to Jacob and others who we read about in the Bible. And knowing how faithful God has been in the past, we can look forward to the future and know He will keep on being faithful to us as well. And that's a great comfort for the present as well. Because we know that God who has promised to be with us is with us. He is always with us, even when life is difficult. Sometimes our plans never work out. Our dreams just shatter. Sometimes we feel like we're total failures. We may feel like no one cares about us or what happens to us. No one understands us. We feel lonely because we'd love to be married one day. Or we miss the partner we once had whom God has called home. 
But when we are going, when we are going through difficult times, let us always remember that we have a God in heaven who is always looking after us. He is always with us. Without Him with, with us, things would be far worse. But He gives us the strength that we need to carry on from day to day. So let us trust that He's doing that, even if it is hard to feel His presence at the moment. Even if it seems like He's far away, let us trust God because He's faithful. And so even when we are going through a hard time of our life, let us keep on worshiping God as well. Let us keep on praising God. Not based on what life looks like today. Not based on on how we are feeling. Not based on the troubles we are facing. Because then we never worship God. Let's always worship God based on who He is. He is our faithful God. He is the Almighty who deserves our praise. And He is also a loving Father who faithfully keeps us in His care. He showed Himself faithful in the past. He will be true to His Word in the future as well. He knows our destination. It's with Him. And He is going to keep us safe on the way there as well. When we remember that God faithfully watches over us, even in our sufferings, then we can sing together with David from Psalm 13. David wrote that psalm when he was surrounded by enemies. He saw no light. He was in a lot of trouble. And yet in his difficulties, he could sing words of praise. He could sing about God's goodness. So by God's grace, let us also sing words of hope, even when our lives seem hopeless. Let us sing these words of David in Psalm 13. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.